What's up, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this week's special report episode of Armchair Producers. There is nothing special about this report. It is just me just quickly popping on here just to give you a little bit of lay of land. This week has been crazy for the Armchair Producers, mostly myself because I've had shit going on and get exhausted. <laughs> um, so Travis is not going to be joining us this week and I'm not going to be on here for too long. But I just wanted to just pop it on and just say howdy to everyone. Thank everyone for jumping in. And if you do jump in at any point, this won't be a part of the podcast because it's just going to be me talking for an indeterminate amount of time on whatever the hell is going on in my brain for right now. Um, so we will next week, we will be back on our regular schedule of Wednesday at 7.30. Um, we will be talking about our chain movie of the week, which is my nominated movie, following Rowan Atkinson from last week's Love Actually, to Scooby-Doo. That's right. The James Gunn written, not directed for anyone who may be confused about that. It is only written by James Gunn. Scooby-Doo from the early 2000s. Um, we will also be talking about the Christoph Waltz directorial debut which came out 2019-2020 called Georgetown which is available on Netflix right now. It's an interesting story based on, loosely based on a real event of um, the supposed murder of a 90 odd year old kind of high society Georgetown socialite lady um, and this is kind of spun off of that. It is not a true story per se, but it is uh, it's an interesting um, launching point uh, for those who don't know, and many probably won't, I suppose. Uh, Georgetown is a very, very well-regarded neighborhood in Washington, I believe it is, um, especially for people who are high society in modern day society. So politicians, people who work high up in the government, people with connections, you know, that sort of, that sort of crowd, shall we say. Um, Christoph Waltz stars and directs this one. Um, it also um, has um, Annette Benning in it and um, names completely gone out of my head. Play me off, Johnny. Um, God, what is her name? That is, see, this is why you need the talent, frankly. This is why you need the talent. This is why I need a Travis. I cannot get anywhere without a Travis. Um, but I'm going to look it up right now for your fan folks who may or may not be joining us. Uh, oh, go away. Stop with the adverts. Vanessa Redgrave. There we go. Uh, and still looking fantastic for 92 years old. My God. Uh, well, I don't think she's actually a 92, but she plays a 92-year-old in this. Um... That was not a sound effect. That was something from outside. I'm presuming it was either a small child being mauled by a dog or a small dog being mauled by a kangaroo. Um, we have also got our thoughts on Megan. Oh, I'm getting some uh, some reviews here. Your voice effect sounds like not good. Oh, my audio is bad. I am so sorry, everyone. Let me just check this out. Ah, uh, oh, don't quite know what's going on there. Hmm. 
Um, sadly, there's not much I can do about the audio right now because um, my microphone is not working. Typical. I'm using my bigger computer. Yes, I'm, I'm back in uh, the, the normal studio today. But that does also mean I am at the whims of the built-in iMac microphone. I have got a new camera, as you can see right here. Um, better high definition and um, better frame rate. Hopefully that is coming through well. Um, now, yes, I was talking about Megan. Interesting new movie uh, from the Blumhouse factory of horror movies. We will talk about that in depth. We will also be having our usual binge, browse, and burn. So I'm not really going to talk about any of that sort of stuff. But one of the things that I did want to talk about a little bit is the Oscars. And my God, it is finally the little indie movie that could. For years, there's especially from like the early 2000s when the kind of grassroots campaigns for Oscar movies really kicked into high gear with using social media and things like that to help promote. I'm thinking examples like Little Miss Sunshine, um, Garden State, those kinds of movies where they got a good little bit of um, kind of smaller award ceremony, film circuit celebration and praise didn't necessarily get a big release, but they built up a cult or fan following over the course of a an Oscars campaigning year. But so many of them did not make it either to the Oscars as nominations, or they were always going to be the outliers. They were quite often genre fair, which is not an area that the Oscars have traditionally rewarded with the biggest prizes. Well, that is a big stipulation right there. Um, very often for the genre thing, films, they get like, ah, oh, best adapted screenplay or best original screenplay or something that isn't one of the top prizes. Best actor, best actress, best director, best picture. Those are the big four that the Oscars like to really push. And most of the time, that's what the ones that the audience are particularly interested in. Um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, that fantastic movie that came out the same time as Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness that has been in the Nova Cinema in Melbourne for over a year. It is currently the record holder for persistent viewing. It has taken the world by storm. It has continued to stay relevant, unlike any of the previous indie darlings that dared to knock on the Oscars doors and it stole everything that it was going for. Essentially it got best picture. It got best director for the Daniels. It got best actress for Michelle Yeoh. It got best supporting actor for Ki Kwan Kin. It got best supporting actor. I, yes. I'm very aware that my tones and my pronunciation of his name were terrible. And I do sincerely apologize. I'm a godless heathen. Best Supporting Actress for Jamie Lee Curtis. Finally her getting some goddamn gold, and I absolutely approve. The last 10 years in particular, she has been smashing it out of the park with phenomenal performances. She's been great ever since, ever since she debuted, frankly. Um, let's go to quickly pull up Oscars 2020. 
that is this one. Uh, that is, yes, that is the one. Here we go. Good. So let's just, let's just look here. Um, became the first film since Gravity to win. Yeah, Everything Everywhere All at Once became the first film since 2013's Gravity to win 70, seven Academy Awards and the most awarded Best Picture win since Slumdog Millionaire 2008. That's pretty damn good. It is the third film in history to win in three acting categories between Streetcar Named Desire 1951 and Network 1976. A24, the producers of it, have been on a tear. They also produced Brendan Fraser's award-winning performance in The Whale. Um, yeah, so it won. Um, studio was the first to win seven of the eight top awards. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Original Screenplay, and the four acting awards, missing only Best Adapted Screenplay. I mean, wow. It's done so damn well, and rightly so. Let's just talk about that for a moment. This movie is what you call a small budget these days. 25 million budget, that's nothing compared to what Disney and Warner Brothers are just pumping out. 25 million, that is maybe one or two, maybe two actors' salaries. Never mind everything else, my God. And they got Michelle Yeoh, who is a legend. They got Jamie Lee Curtis, who is a legend. They did phenomenal work with the special effects on a team of, was it seven or ten? It's it's a comeback story. It, it, the, the Oscars this year has been an absolute delight for everyone because Brendan Fraser, absolute um, Hollywood sweetheart, shall we say, from... His early beginnings, like Encino Man, George of the Jungle, The Mummy, going up and up and up, going into the deserts of Hollywood abandonment, and coming back with this. Great performance. Arguably a little overdramatic after, you know, me and Travis both um, considered it good, but the movie was flawed and the performance is a little flawed as well. Still, a worthy, a worthy award for a man who deserves some good. This movie kind of ticked every box for me when you can go back and um, re-listen if you really want to. But this is a movie that you have to experience yourself because it is in every conceivable way. Everything, everywhere, all at once. It is a family drama. It is a comedy. It is an action movie. It is a borderline superhero movie. It has got drama. It has got suspense. It has got that emotional core that so many movies do not have. This somehow is the movie to really open up the Oscars to every person. So many years. It has been criticised, the Oscars, of being a pat on the back for those in the industry, and that's it. It has rarely reflected the mass media, the mass public impression. So when films like The Return of the King, when that finally took everything, everyone was kind of watching after The Fellowship of the Rings came out and it got nominated for Summers and it wasn't allowed, or it didn't get the win. 
and two towers came in, didn't get the win, and everyone's like, well, they're waiting for the trilogy to finish. And they did. They swept. Rightly so. Rightly so. They did a phenomenal job with those three movies. Genre movies have so frequently been the underdogs at the Oscars, and it has been movies like The Whale, and it has been movies like Tar, and The Fablemans, and those movies that are about the actor's craft or the director's craft. And yes, there is definitely a strong argument to be had that best director picture should be should weigh maybe a little bit more on the artistic side of things. The best picture, that is a very broad umbrella. Everyone's idea is totally different. Some people may look at Top Gun Maverick, for example, which was nominated for some awards, and it won best... Um, it won best something, I can't remember. Of course it won best. It's like, it won the worst at the Oscars. No, that's the Razzies. Um, they don't... It's, it's an outlier to fill the numbers. And they've been adding more and more placements for the Best Picture and Best Director for a long time. They're now up to 10 because they want to get more movies in there that the audience have seen. But at the same time, those who do the voting have been very reticent to actually nominate and vote on those mass market movies. And the indie scene, such as Everything Everywhere All at Once, such as arguably The Whale, although that is more tailored for the Oscars. Those little independent movies are kind of the perfect mark for that because so often they are passion projects of writers or directors or writer-director combos or that single creative mind pushing this through and it is their vision on screen. And they will so often get that balance of... I'm just getting messages, sorry. Apparently I'm being cute. Um, so many times it's that balance of um, that passion project that's unique and unusual and sort of like, oh, again, I'm going to be bringing everything back to everything everywhere all at once because it is the point of this mad ramble, I suppose. It is an unusual movie. How do you market it? And how do you market it without spoiling it as well? Wherein this movie follows a woman trying to do her taxes is a good example of what it is, but it is so loose. It might be better to say um, this movie follows a woman trying to do her taxes whilst also keep her family together. But that's a lie because that's not what she's trying to do. That is something that, that spins and part of the story but it is not the story but then you've got the wonderful comedy in it you have got the phenomenal character work inside it you have got everything just playing really well and it is a combination of that director and writer focus pulling in actors that you don't necessarily think about giving them that space and that scope to just breathe, take in that character and just be that character and explore a little bit further, almost not to the point of someone like Nicolas Cage, who will 
so push on the boundaries of a character to things like Werner Zerhog's um, uh, Bad Lieutenant, for example, where he just pushes the limits of a character so far. He is he's unafraid of boundaries and he's phenomenal at it. And sometimes it makes Oscar gold. Other times it's just farcical. But he always wants to push those boundaries. And this movie and these little cult indie movies often allow a little bit more of that flexibility because there isn't that big monster with Mickey Mouse ears or the that dangerous shield of um, Warner Brothers looming over them saying, you've got to make at least... 500 million at the box office in your first month. Otherwise, this movie's a flop. They're not working on that. They're making a movie that they've been given a set amount of money. It's like, okay, go out and make it. And so it's like, you know what? We're able to make a budget. We're able to do this thing. And we're going to give these people a little bit more creative freedom. And guess what happens? You get something that the audience magnets to is drawn to it in a way that is unusual. This has got a cult following. This, this was an instant hit straight away. Critics loved it. The audience have enjoyed it all the way through, and it has got repeat viewing. That's why it's been in the Cinema Nova for a year, because people keep going back to it, because they're getting fresh little bits each time they go in. And especially... This movie in particular, the fact that it came out at the same time as another movie, a $500, $600 million monster came out, boom, with the same premise of a multiverse. And this little $25 million movie ate the other guy's lunch in every conceivable way. The special effects were better. The use and the... Um... The visual representation of the multiverse was represented in such a better way. An emotional story was told. It didn't rely on massive special effects and melting worlds and musical notes flying through the sky and all of that sort of thing. It told a story about people. And it did it so well that it's impossible to ignore. And... That is why it's taken home all this gold. And it is absolutely deserving. It is a phenomenal movie. If you have not watched it, go out and watch it. It is now available to rent and buy on all the streaming services that do that sort of thing. Amazon Prime have got it. Uh, Prime Video, sorry. Um, Google, Apple TV Plus, all of that stuff. You can get it. You can see it. You will enjoy it. There's some bits that are a little risque. Like the butt plug trophies. That's funny. Put your own, put yourself on pause and just enjoy the movie. And that is the other key thing that makes this movie and this Oscar win important. It's not trying to be a piece of art all the time. It's trying to be a good story. It's trying to tell a good story in a very honest, unique way with relatable characters. It's not trying to be all spectacle. It's not all frosting. There's really good cake underneath here. The, the frosting, those special effects sequences that you don't really pay attention to in this, camera work, the stunt work, all of these 
delightful little bits. They make up this amazing movie that, because of that, gels it all together and it becomes a piece of art. When you look at it after the fact, when you're in it, you're in it. When you're watching it, the rest of the world doesn't matter. That's why The Mummy, Brendan Fraser's movie from 1999, it's so beloved. Not only is he, Rachel Weisz, um, what's his name? Go uh, Richard Hammond. No, not Richard fucking Hammond. That's stupid. He's from Jurassic Park. Um, anyway, they're all delightful. They're all, they all know the movie that they're in. Stephen Sommers knew what movie he wanted to make. And he wanted to make an entertaining movie. That's all he wanted to do. And he did it. That's what made the Indiana Jones movies, the three Indiana Jones movies, so good. Because they just wanted to tell a story. They wanted to make it entertaining. And by that, you look at it, and Indiana Jones, Raiders of the Lost Ark, is a fantastic example of a great movie. Because the story, the, the main character doesn't matter. He's on a journey. He is incidental to the story. As has been popularized by such shows as How to... Um, Big Bang Theory. They talk about this. They make a joke about it. But it is a good point. And it brings up a very good point of the importance of a movie. Why do we make these things? Yes, because they're art. But we don't... That's not why they're a business. They're a business because they're entertaining. How do you entertain people? That's the question that so often the Oscar movies forget. Those Oscar-baited movies, like we talked about, Travis and I talked about the Fablements and talked about how it was very, very typical Steven Spielberg and it had just everything about it. The production design of it looked like, so like, yes, this is for your consideration. Before they even fucking edited the movie, this was being filmed as a for your consideration thing. There's not necessarily anything wrong with that. Steven Spielberg still knows how to get a movie across the line. He's become somewhat lazy in my opinion, but he still knows how to do a good movie. But it wasn't entertaining. We had our many, many foibles with that movie, and it wasn't entertaining. And rightly so, it didn't get in the gulp. And it wasn't a piece of art. It was almost like a like a an imitation of a piece of art. You look at something like um, Gone with the Wind, or Lawrence of Arabia, or even yeah. Let's go. Let's go genres. We're talking genre right now. Lord of the Rings, the three movies. They were contenders for Best Picture. Every single one of them won for Return of the King. They were done with that integrity of art. You saw so many. After the fact, you saw those production photos of artists just moving on the sets, painting things to make Elrond's um, gazebo look more realistic because it's elven design. And it's like, oh, well, that probably wouldn't be a little bit tatty there. It would be a bit better. They were doing last minute things because every they were using every grain of film to make it immersive to make it entertaining, and to make it a piece of living art. They did really well with those movies. Everything Everywhere All at Once did that. 
They were working on small budgets, so they made everything work for them. They, it's the same reason why animation so frequently is described, especially by myself and Travis, as using every pixel of the screen because so much is put into the animation of going deep into it. It's something that Pixar have kind of lost over the years. They focused on more of the fluffy things and it's because of the Disney effect. Disney just want to them them they're making they've made a machine out of everything. What was the last passion project that Disney created? Passion project. Not money making remake. It's been a long time. Nothing wrong with that. It's a business. They can churn out all those fucking movies. But it needs to be a balance. And that's where independent movies and independent cinema come into it. And that's why wins and nominations like Everything Everywhere All at Once, like the, say, alternate artistic fair, the art fair movies of The Whale and Tar are important. That's why something like To Leslie, which I didn't really like as a movie, but they are important. And supporting those movies and going out just even once a month and instead of every week or every month that you sort of like, oh, it's cinema night tonight. Let's go and see the new Marvel movie. It's like, no. Come on. They don't need your money. They genuinely don't. The small people do. Those independent movies do. So just shake it up once every now and then. Just go, you know what? This movie has got is by that director, by that writer, by that uh, with that actor or actress, that musician. I'm gonna check it out. Why not? Or rent it. It's a very very good source of independent movie, and they appreciate it. Doesn't you don't appreciate? Wakanda Forever got nominated for awards this year. I think it won one for costume. Yeah, the costumes were great. But of course they were. They had fucking millions thrown at them. If they didn't, something's majorly wrong. But that movie also made fucking tons of money. Probably not enough. But still, made a fuck ton. But anyway, I've wandered all over the place. The point of this is... Look a little bit outside of your box. Outside of your comfort zone. That's what we try and do with the chain movie. Linking things together in a way that you might not have ever thought of. A lot of the time we do safe things with a director, with a writer, with, a, with one of the leading actors. But every now and then we throw a curveball in there and we'll do it as a, as a genre style. Like something like, um, what was it? Uh, Never Let Me Go. I saw it a long time ago, and it was, at that point, it was an out-of-the-box out of kind of decision for me to have. Scooby-Doo, never been a Scooby-Doo fan, not a particular fan of any of the actors in it. Matthew Lillard, I really like. I think he's a, an interesting character actor. He's done some interesting stuff, and the fact that he's big into D&D, hashtag Beetle and Grimm. Uh, <laughs> I won't do that again, I promise. I can't promise that. No, I can't promise that. There, there is talent in that movie, but it's not the kind of movie that I particularly like. 
and we try every now and then just to do something a little different. We took for next week, we are going to be talking about Georgetown. And yeah, it's an easy, easy association with Christoph Waltz. And I'm currently watching The Consultant on Prime Video. But it's not really the sort of movie that I'll just go, oh, that long day, I need to put something on. Everyone does that because everyone has long, hard lives. Understandable. Sometimes it's really interesting to stimulate your mind. But that's all I'm going to talk about for now. I'm going to leave this just before the half hour mark. I didn't realize I was going to talk for half an hour. Wow. I feel sorry for my customers when I meet them because they probably want to escape and they just can't. I don't let them. <laughs> but anyway, thank you very much for the guys that uh, guys and girls and everyone in between who joined in or listens to this later on on twitch.tv slash the fried brain. Facebook.com slash armchair producers. Uh, where else have I got it? YouTube.com slash armchair producers. Really appreciate it. But next week, Wednesday, 7.30, we'll be live and ready to roll. Until then, thank you very much. Good night. Bye-bye, book.